The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. You're listening to the VPM Daily Newscast, a recap of today's top stories in Central Virginia. From the VPM Newsroom in Richmond, I'm Benjamin Dolly. Following court-ordered mediation, the Virginia Employment Commission will work to resolve a backlog of pandemic-related jobless claims by Labor Day. As Whitney Evans reports, legal aid groups sued last month on behalf of residents. An order filed Tuesday directs the VEC to ramp up its capacity to resolve and clear claims. The agency will identify whose benefits were cut short, and it will provide weekly data through the end of the year on claims filed and adjudicated. It's going to be really helpful for us to be able to see what is happening, how things are going. Pat Levy-Lavelle is an attorney at Legal Aid Justice Center, one of the groups representing claimants. We're going to be looking towards progress longer terms, whether adjudication rates speed up in the amount of time that people are waiting, hopefully can downward. Governor Ralph Northam's office said in a press release last week, Virginia's unemployment system is one of the lowest funded in the country, and these problems were hidden by a strong economy but highlighted by the pandemic. The VEC is poised to add hundreds of new employees and make immediate technology upgrades. Whitney Evans, VPM News. Lawyers for Dylan Roof asked a federal appeals court in Richmond yesterday to overturn his conviction. Roof is the white nationalist who killed nine people at an historically black church in Charleston, South Carolina, six years ago. He was sentenced to death in 2017 after being convicted on federal murder and hate crimes charges for the massacre. Roof told jurors there was nothing wrong with him psychologically. He wrote in the jailhouse journal he had no remorse for the killings. His attorneys say the trial court wrongly found Roof competent to stand trial and argued competency hearings were inadequate. Yesterday, a U.S. Senate Health Committee approved the Dr. Laura Breen Health Care Provider Protection Act. The bill, introduced by Senator Tim Kaine, is aimed at addressing burnout in health care workers. Patrick Larson has more. Dr. Breen was a Virginia native who saw the worst of the pandemic as a New York City emergency room director. She died by suicide last April. Senator Kane says she was a hero, but still human. And sometimes even calling them heroes can be a challenge because we put them on a pedestal and may not realize the vulnerabilities and challenges they deal with. Kane's bill, which passed out of committee unanimously, would fund education and care programs for health care students, residents, and workers through grants. It would also require a study focused on the mental health of providers, analyzing what problems exist and how they impact care provided by the health system. The bill will soon go to the Senate floor for a vote. A similar measure is also being discussed in the House of Representatives. Patrick Larson, VPM News. It's been almost three months since VCU freshman Adam Oakes died. Yesterday, the Office of the Medical Examiner found that Oakes' death was caused by ethanol toxicity or alcohol poisoning. Officials are considering the death an accident. The 19-year-old died in late February after an alleged incident of hazing by the VCU chapter of the Delta Chi fraternity. The group has since been suspended from campus. VCU is currently conducting an independent review of all Greek life organizations and practices. While Richmond's local history museum, the Valentine, has reopened during the pandemic, the studio of Edward Valentine, the museum's namesake, remains closed. VPM's Roberta Roldan recently spoke to museum officials about how they're reckoning with the artist racism. 
On a recent morning, Christina Vita opens up the locked doors to Edward Valentine's sculpture studio. It's a small, one-story building detached from the main Valentine Museum. When you walk into this space, you do see shelving filled with busts of 19th century Confederate generals, early 20th century Richmonders. Within the sea of plaster and marble busts, Vita points out three statues with black subjects. One is the bust of an older man named Uncle Henry with exaggerated facial features. There's also another work of a young African-American boy called Knowledge is Power, and it's a play on words because it's actually, he depicts a young boy asleep holding a book. Vito says these sculptures were some of Valentine's best-selling works. He was one of the foremost public artists of the Lost Cause, the movement to rehabilitate the image of the Confederacy after the Civil War. And until recently, Valentine was celebrated for it. The studio exhibition showcasing his work was created in 2003. But after the events in Charleston, Charlottesville, and the racial justice protests in Richmond last summer, Vita says the museum is reassessing how they talk about Valentine. We need to take a step back um, and really rethink the way that this space is used. Museum leadership says it can't really be more honest about its namesake without acknowledging its own complicity. Not only did they shy away from Edward Valentine's racism in the past, it's actively elevated his work. At the same time, the museum has occasionally been ahead of its time. In 1902, it waived any ticket fees for Richmond Public School students, black or white. The Valentine's director, Bill Martin, says the institution's history is full of these contradictions. It gives me hope that we can actually begin to acknowledge this ongoing dissonance in our institution, but also to say to the community that we also don't have to be trapped. Martin says there's a total reassessment underway from who the museum employs and who sits on its board to what stories are being elevated. There are many stories that are overrepresented. We probably have too much material from the lost cause, but whole parts of Richmond's history that are not reflected at all. What this larger reassessment has looked like so far has been a series of surveys and focus groups looking at how the museum talks about race in Richmond. For the studio project, the Valentine has also hired a committee of black historians and writers, one of those scholars is Anna Edwards, whose work is focused on Shaco Bottom and the Devil's Half Acre site. Edwards says some Richmonders are now coming to terms with their own history and biases. The city's institutions, she says, are no different. Because they all started off as institutions born into, um, if not the Confederacy per se, certainly, you know, the white supremacist South. That's where they come from. That's where their money comes from. That's where their sensibility comes from. Talks of what the studio space will end up looking like are still early days. The Valentine isn't looking to reopen that part of the museum until 2023. But Edward says she's envisioning the studio as a place for programming, not a permanent exhibition. She wants to keep just a few of the sculptures currently there, like Knowledge is Power and Uncle Henry. So that people were at least clear that they were walking into a space where we're going to be talking about these issues, right? Edward says she hopes that the studio space, stripped of most of its grand white sculptures, can be a place for Richmonders to have the difficult conversations that they say they're ready to have. Roberto Roldan, VPM News. This newscast was recorded on Tuesday, May 25th at 6 p.m. Some of these stories may have changed from the time you've heard them. You can stay connected to what matters by heading to vpm.org news or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MyVPM.
VPM.